Hey folks, welcome to another edition of My Car Guru, where we talk about everything automotive and other stuff. Like today, we're going to talk a little bit about a few other things. Why people shop where they do. Uh, my wife and I did an experiment this weekend. I wanted a, an excuse to ride in my new car, so we jumped in it, and she said, well, I had told her about this new store that I saw it open up on Highway 107 near the Farmer's Daughter. It's a very popular down-home cooking restaurant in Greene County. Well, maybe it's in Sullivan, or no, Washington County. It's near South Central, if you know where that is. But there's a um, there's one of those little uh, companies that build these uh, storage buildings and stuff right next door, and then there's a, a market that sells... Well, you know, I think it's run by the Mennonites, and they sell just everything for cooking and all different types of nuts and breads and cakes and pies and stuff like that, and beef jerky. But anyway, I hadn't been out there in a while, and I was out there earlier in the week, and I saw this brand new store that had opened up, and it was called DG Market. Now, the colors were similar to Dollar General, so I just assumed that's what it was. And I did a, a quick Google search, and yes, that is a, a new format. Well, I don't know how new it is, but it's new to here. I mean, we have a Dollar General about every 500 yards in Greene County. That's an exaggeration, but we have a lot of them. And, uh, you know, I just wonder, what is the what is the idea there? Can you have too many? You know, as far as the, the the proximity of one to the other, because two miles down the road from the DG or DG market is a Dollar General, much smaller footprint. Well, what's the deal with that? Well, many years ago, I read a book called The Myth of Excellence, and the whole point of the book is to say that there are five different things or attributes that a business uh, has and that it competes uh, competes on. So. These are basic foundational decisions that a business has to make as to, okay, what are we going to, what is going to be our competitive advantage? That's what I'm trying to say, over other companies. And what about these other things? Do we have to be excellent at everything? Well, the point of the book was, no, you don't. So the, the five different attributes are price, product, service, access, and experience. Now, price is obviously, you know, how are you going to approach the market as far as price? Are you going to be a price leader? Are you going to be perceived to be the lowest price alternative? As far as product, are you going to offer high-quality products, mid-quality products, low-quality products? I don't guess anybody advertises, get your low-quality products here. No, they just uh, it just happens, what they stock, the type of uh, inventory that they carry. For example, in my uh, green outdoor business, our our outdoor everything store, we made a decision early on, we're not selling anything cheap, quality-wise. It's all going to be top-quality stuff. And because it's top-quality, you know, it's not the kind of things that you're going to find at Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart. I mean, if you want a grill from us, it's going to be pretty expensive. Not that we're charging too much for them, but it's just high-end stuff. So that's the product side of things. Uh, service. So are you going to service your product or what type of service are you going to provide to the consumer? You know, when they come into your store, uh, there are, you know, helpers pretty easy to find or, or, you know, do you have people that to answer questions? Uh, you know, if somebody has a, a return to make, is it easy? You know, is it, or is it a laborious process? And, 
You know, you act like you're pulling teeth to take something back. You know, service is important, and especially in car dealerships. You know, what are you willing to do after the sale? How easy do you make it for people to uh, get their car serviced there? Uh, experience. Sounds a lot like service, but it's really what does the business feel like? You know, I'll never forget the difference. When I walked into, uh, what is the name of that? Uh, Fresh Market. First time I ever walked into a Fresh Market. I mean, I was just, I had to stand there and just kind of take it in. This is different. This doesn't look like Kroger's. Uh, it's much more, I don't know, comfortable, intimate. I don't know. You know, as, as far as the products, you don't see these, like these, all these different salad dressings. You know, all you see at um, some of these stores is Catalina and Italian. You know, they had all different kinds and just so many different brands. And looks like a lot of it comes from Europe and other places. It's a different experience. Um, you know, the, the way the meat department looks and, and the, the lighting and the ambiance and the music and stuff, that's what they mean by experience. And then access. How easy are you to find? How easy are you to get to? If somebody calls your business, do they go through a phone tree or do they actually have somebody answering the phone? When the phone gets transferred, does it happen quickly? Are you easy to find? Is your location someplace that's accessible? You know, how hard is it to find a parking place? You know, all of these things reflect on the business's access. You know, the fact that there's a Dollar General store every 500 yards, um, that means that they're very accessible, whereas you may have to drive 15 miles to get to a Walmart. I mean, this has to affect Walmart's business, don't you think? I mean, anybody that sells groceries, for that matter. I mean, Dollar General Market is more of a grocery store. Now, they had a pretty pitiful uh, fresh vegetable department. It said fresh vegetables. You know, big sign. I look, and there's a bunch of uh, baked pot or potatoes that are shrink-wrapped. There was nothing else. There's nothing fresh-looking about it. But um, they had everything else. And they even sell crafts and uh, party favors and things like that. It was interesting to see the diversity of the product. A lot more stuff and a lot bigger footprint than just a regular Dollar General store. But the fact that they're so accessible, that is one of their main attributes. What's interesting to me about all of this is how people respond to it. You know, so what drives you to one business may be just simply because they have a wide diversity of product. I mean, I, I, I'm not a member of Sam's or Costco or anything like that, but I have a lot of friends who are. And, you know, they go there when they want to buy bulk, when they want to buy a lot of stuff. Uh, they go there for specific things, and then they'll go to the grocery store for uh, specific things, and then they may go to a Dollar General for other things. You know, I'm just not willing to work that hard. I mean, I go to one place, and most of the time they have everything that I need. What, what they don't have, probably order from Amazon. But, you know, when it comes to going out to eat, you know, I'm not judging or anything, but I don't want to go to a, you know, like a cafeteria, you know, like a, I don't know, Golden Corral or something like that. That's not, that's not a, a, a great evening out for me. I'd rather go to Carabas or, I don't know, maybe Olive Garden or uh, even a Lone Star, or what is it, Longhorn Steak. I mean, those aren't high-end places. I don't need high-end. I mean, I like quantity but also like quality. And 
you know, the atmosphere does matter to me. Some people it doesn't. You know, that's they, they eat all their meals at McDonald's. Maybe because of price, but also it might be because they just, you know, like the, the access, how easy it is. And it works well for their family. People go to do different, uh, go to different businesses for different reasons. And sometimes you you're not looking for quality. You're looking for access. Sometimes you're not looking for access. You're looking for low prices. So in a minute, we'll talk about how this all applies to buying a car, getting automotive service. You know what what uh, dealers can really do or not do to make a difference for your buying experience. Okay, I am back. You know, in the infancy of the car business, when Henry Ford was making Model Ts, if you were a really big purchaser of Model T Fords, like in a larger city, you could buy them for less per unit. Uh, If you were a much smaller dealer, let's say in Johnson City, Tennessee, and you only sold, you know, 15 or 20 Model Ts a month or even a year, then you would have to pay more for each one. Well, over the years... As more and more dealers, more and more manufacturers made cars, and more and more dealers uh, were set up in different towns all across the country, uh, state dealer associations were established. And they said, well, now, wait a minute. If if the larger dealers can sell the vehicles cheaper than the smaller dealers, then there won't be any smaller dealers. Everybody will go to the bigger cities and buy their vehicles. There will be a lack of competition. And so uh, laws were passed, and they were designed to protect dealers. So today, I don't care if you are Reichart Ford in Columbus, Ohio, one of the highest volume dealers, or Galpin Ford is a better example out in Southern California. You know, they'll sell, oh, 12, 15,000 uh, Fords, for example, a year. Whereas a dealer in, I don't know, some small town in, in Iowa might sell. 50 cars a year. The bottom line is they pay the same exact price for the vehicles that they sell. There is no difference based on volume. There is no such thing as volume purchasing when it comes to automobiles. Nor uh, does that, neither does that apply to auto parts. Um, we all pay the same for parts as well. So that make, makes it competitive. So it is a myth to think that a larger dealer can sell cars for less. What determines whether a dealer sells a vehicle for one dealer sells a vehicle for less than another dealer is basically just competition. Uh, how badly does he want to move that unit? You know, is it uh, does he want to keep the other dealer? If you're shopping between two dealers, does one dealer want to keep the other dealer from selling a car? So he ends up cutting it to invoice or below, just to move the car and to keep the other dealer from selling the car. Still making a little bit of money, but sometimes they even lose money to to keep some you know, to gain a customer, to gain a service customer, to get a nice trade in. They'll lose money on the front end just to get a car. You know, I've had people ask me over the years. Uh, well, Lenny, how come such and such offered me a lower price than you did? And basically, the only answer is because he wanted to. Um, and more often than not, I'll meet or beat the price so that I don't lose the customer. So people wonder, well, how did all this pricing thing happen? Why can't everybody just pay the same price? Good question. You know, for the last, I don't know, two years or so, it's been a seller's market. Uh, dealers were selling just about everything for MSRP or higher. So customers would come in and they said, well, what can you buy this car for? And it's twelve nine ninety five. It's right there on the window sticker. And they said, okay, won't you take less than that? And so, no, that's, that's what the price is right now. And so they would pay it. 
Well, that's not that way anymore. I've never seen anything change as fast as this has changed. And it's good for the consumer. It's good for you. So basically, the normal car business is back. Uh, You've got deep discounting. You've got uh, manufacturers that are they're resisting as much as they can, but they are kicking in some incentives. Most of the incentives are in the form of low interest financing, you know, 0% for 36 to 60 months and 1.9 and 2.9, which is way less than what you could get it for uh, from a bank or a credit union right now. Uh, We're seeing some incentive dollars, especially on EVs. EVs have had massive price reductions recently. Our Ford Mach-E and Lightning have had massive price reductions. And there are all kinds of incentives that are available to get people to be interested in either buying them or leasing them. And then you have the $7,500 or up to $7,500 tax credit, which you now get up front. You don't even have to wait for it until you file your taxes. It's not really, I mean, you can call it a tax credit. That's technically what it is. But, uh, you know, from a practical standpoint, it's a $7,500 rebate to incentivize you to buy an electric vehicle. Now, for some people, that may be enough. But what all the manufacturers are doing right now is they're trying to rush to market as quickly as they can with lower price EVs. And they think that that's the problem. But see, you and I know that that is not the problem. I don't care how cheap EVs are. They're not going to increase the sales in rural America. They may in New York City and Los Angeles and San Francisco, but they're not going to move the needle in you know flyover country because people aren't buying EVs for two reasons. Political, number one, and I, I, I do believe that's number one, and from a practical standpoint, it just doesn't make sense for people who live here uh, because of the lack of charging infrastructure and how long it takes to charge a vehicle. And you just don't know what you're going to face, you know, when you go. I mean, pretty much when you're driving down the road and it says that there's an Exxon station at the next exit, you know that you're going to be able to get gas there. You don't know what the price you're going to pay unless they have a big sign that tells you what how much it's going to cost per gallon. But you know that you're going to be able to get gas there. Now, occasionally, you know, maybe they run out of gas, but that's a rarity, especially along the interstate. But if, uh, you know, there's no sign that says charge your electric car here, you know, you have to follow a map, and some, and it may lead you to, to miles off the interstate, downtown, into a, the, the closest town, and you finally find it, and you pull up to it, and it's, it's broken down. It's not working. That is what's keeping EVs from selling now. Now, I just read a couple publications of automotive news, and they are still, it's almost like they are on crack cocaine when it comes to EVs. They cannot get off the bandwagon when the reality of EVs is, is that we are way off from them kicking the internal combustion engine to the curb because it's just not practical enough. It, it's fine for some people. Like I drove my EV uh, this week. I drove the Nissan Aria. My wife and I went to a concert at the Tennessee Theater, Diana Krall. You ever heard of her? She's a she's a jazz singer. Not really my thing. But we had a good time. Got to spend time with my, my brother's oldest daughter and her husband. But um, 
we, we took the Aria to uh, valet parking, and they parked it for me. And I had about, uh, I think it was about, uh, it was 100% charge when I left Greenville, and Knoxville was about 75 miles away. I think I had about a 75% when I got there. When I got back home the next day, it was cold, and so it was using more energy, and I was driving too fast. But uh, anyway, I was about 40% when I got home. Didn't have to buy any gas. Just got home, plug it in. Cost about $6 to fill it up with electrons. That's pretty good. But, you know, the Aria is my third vehicle. I have a, a Nissan Titan, and my wife drives a Nissan Pathfinder. I'm all Nissan right now. My, I'm a Ford dealer, too, so, you know, I don't tell anybody. So I've gotten way off track, but let me get back on track here real quick. Price, it's a, it's a myth that there's that much difference in price when it comes to different new car dealers. Truly a myth. What the real difference is, is the experience and the service. Now, you could say access, you know, if you uh, are talking about how close you live to a particular dealer and that's convenient for you. I get it. You know, we sell a lot of Fords and a lot of Nissans in my community to people who didn't used to drive Nissans and Fords. Because, one, because I'm the Ford and Nissan dealer here in Greenville, Tennessee. We've been in business here for 50 years, people like that. And because we have this big new, you know, dealership and, and great service facilities and all that, there's a lot of different reasons, but we are convenient to people here. I'm not so convenient to somebody that lives in Roanoke or, or somebody that lives in Nashville, but people will still drive here from all over the country buy vehicles on the internet, primarily because we have what they want, but secondarily because we'll sell it for a little bit less than some of the dealers where they live. You know, they've shopped around, they've gotten a price, and they're not happy with it. So they call us or, you know, send us a message through the internet, and they say, what will you sell this for? And our price beats the other dealer's price by four or $500, and they'll, it's amazing how far somebody will drive, you know, just to save four or $500. Now, you'll always have those folks out there that believe they got a, a much, much, much better deal by going somewhere else, you know, and it, and it could be true because the dealer was willing to put more in their trade-in because they just really wanted that used vehicle or because the other dealer was just trying to gouge them, you know, and, and really try to close them on monthly payments and they figured out what they were paying for the car and they said, I'm not paying that, you know, and then they leave. And they go somewhere else and they say they're able to tell somebody, well, I say I bought the car for $4,000 less than that other dealer down the road. But when it comes down to it, all the dealers pay the same. There's the same opportunity for, for one to discount as the other. Just some do and some don't. Okay, I'll be back here in just one minute. Now, for those of you who think that the experience doesn't matter, it may not matter to you. It may be all about price to you. But for some people, experience matters very much. I'll give you an example. I had a customer, that guy that I've known, actually went to high school with and hadn't seen in a long time, and he sent a message to me through Facebook Messenger. And we ended up hooking up through, my, through the cell phone. I sent him my number. We talked, made arrangements for him to come down to the dealership. He lived in another town. And you know, he told me up front, he said, now, Lenny, can I just deal with you? And I said, well, sure, we'll, uh, we'll take care of the whole thing. So we met down here on a, on a Saturday, and, uh, you know, we uh, met each other and shook hands and, you know, s did some small talk and stuff. And I just asked him, okay, tell me what you're trying to accomplish. And we, he told me, 
And so uh, we sat down and, and talked a little bit more detail as far as the features and options that he wanted. I had the vehicle pulled up to the to the front of the showroom. We got out um, and went out to the car, got in it, went on a test drive, came back, came back to my office. I gave him a price. He says, I don't want to go back and forth on that. I said, no problem. I gave him a great deal up front. I handed him the paperwork. He said, that sounds great. We signed it, and then I had to go to the to Knoxville to go to the concert, but my one of my salespeople finalized the deal, and he was elated. He said that was a, one of the best buying experiences he had ever had. Experience does matter. Uh, of course, he did have confidence in me that I was going to give him a good deal, and um, I never indicated anything otherwise. But, you know, sometimes when somebody makes some something really easy for you and um, they take the fear out of buying, especially a purchase as big as a car, sometimes price doesn't matter quite as much. I mean, yeah, I mean, he didn't assume that I wasn't going to give him a good deal, and he was satisfied with the numbers. I'm sure if I had not discounted the car and not given him as much as I did for his trade-in, he might have balked a little bit. But I didn't give him a reason to... Um, to push back. And really, that's the way it ought to be. And I'm pretty certain that if we live long enough, that he will buy another vehicle for me. He, he kind of, he's like on the every t- uh, one car every 10 year plan. So not sure about that, but we'll see. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. I hope you learned something. If you didn't, I apologize. If you did, come see me or call me 423-552-2020. I'll answer your car questions to improve your car life. We'll see you next time.